0: Welcome to Behavioral Health Today, a podcast brought to you by the Triad Network. This podcast is designed to share trending topics occurring within the world and our communities and bring them a behavioral and mental health perspective.
1: Welcome to Behavioral Health Today. I'm your host, Dr. Aaron Elmore. My guest today is Dr. Claire Rubman. Claire is a cognitive developmental psychologist. She earned her PhD from Stony Brook University and has taught in classrooms for over 30 years. She has personally seen the success and failure of reading comprehension. And in November of 2022, Claire published the book, This May Be Difficult to Read, But You Really Should for Your Child's Sake, which addresses the underlying problem of poorly acquired reading comprehension skills in children of all ages. We've brought Claire here today to talk with us about literacy and creating an ideal environment for reading. So, Claire, welcome. We're so happy to have you. Thank you very much for having me today. Well, Claire, I must say, I actually, I looked up your book on Amazon before we started recording and it currently has five-star reviews. So congratulations. Thank you. (laughs) I'm really excited to learn more about it and, and more about your expertise. So before we get into that, though, do you want to tell us a little bit about your story and maybe what brought you to focusing on this area of
0: literacy and reading comprehension? Absolutely. So I've been teaching at the college level for over 20 years now. And I've come to notice that some of my students do extremely well and some of my students do less well. And one of the defining characteristics of a poorer student seems to be this lack of reading comprehension skills. They seem to not be able to extrapolate meaning from a textbook. And so I got to thinking about it and being a cognitive psychologist, I've been looking at reading research for the last 20 years and I got to thinking, how is it that this information, it's fabulous research, it's wonderful information, and yet it doesn't seem to be well disseminated in the public, it doesn't seem to be that Parents and teachers are taking advantage of this fabulous research because living proof is that the students don't seem to know what they're doing when it comes to reading a textbook or reading the printed word. Now, obviously, some of them do a great job, but one of the big questions would be how is it that some students can read really well and comprehend really well, and other students don't do as well? They all went to school, they all learned to read. So, what happened? Coupled with that, I have three children of my own who are now fully grown. And I got to thinking while I was raising them, how do I make reading exciting? How do I get them to want to learn to read? So one was an avid reader, one was a reluctant reader, and one, let's say, just didn't like to read at all. (laughs) My own children spanned the gamut. And so I I tried to incorporate ways of making it part of our everyday life, part of the fun and the adventure of just being in our home anyway. And I tried to take the research and bring it to life on my own house. And then I got to thinking, if we can do it, why isn't everybody doing it? It's so much fun. It's Mm. an adventure. It's a journey. And it's just a really fun part of parenting. So I thought I'd share it with the world. I love that. I'm
1: sure that's comforting Mm -hmm. for parents everywhere to hear that even a cognitive developmental psychologist has a couple children that weren't fully Mm -hmm. enjoying reading. It's normal. And then as you were speaking to, there's so many children that do struggle. So how great that you were able to use your own experience to make it fun and interesting and and combine that with your knowledge to help a lot of these children and parents that really need some support. So when when you're talking about reading comprehension, I'm just trying to refresh my memory. My understanding of that is somebody could literally be reading but not really understanding what is being stated to them, or they're not able to understand it in their own their own mind, essentially, even though they could literally
0: read. Is that accurate? Well, yeah. So that's one of the problems. What is reading comprehension? How do we yeah. define it? You know, when parents listen, they all work really hard. Or many of them work really hard. Sometimes it's a single parent family, a two parent family. They're running around crazily trying to do the laundry, do the dishes, cook dinner, get homework done. Where in that frenetic lifestyle do they find time to actually teach their children to read? And so part of the reading comprehension issue is what are they teaching? And some do a great job teaching letters. Some do a great job teaching sounds. Some do a fabulous job getting their children to read the words off the page but none of that technically is reading comprehension. It's part of the process, but reading comprehension means extracting meaning from the printed word. And so we need to be able to allow our children to do that as a natural part of the reading process. And look, the truth is we teach our children to listen and to hear what's being said. We ought to be able to teach our children to read and to understand the printed word. The two should be synonymous. But sadly, they've become separated. So it's time to stick them back together. Mm -hmm. No, that's a
1: great definition. I think that helps a lot. What would you say is the current state of literacy? So you've alluded to it, that it's an area that needs some attention. But what are you noticing? What are some trends?
0: What are some things that we need to support in this area? Sure. Well, to give you some numbers, some statistics and facts here, one in every five college freshmen has to take a remedial reading class in freshman year of college. So one in five obviously seems to be having a really difficult time. That's a really high statistic. It is. It's a staggeringly high number. And they all graduated high school. So what's going on? Um, Mm -hmm. 42 million American adults are functionally illiterate, which means they can hold a can of soup, but they can't follow the directions on it. And so again, they were taught to read what happened to the comprehension part. And what's the point in saying words out loud if we don't understand what we're reading? And I just read in the New York Times, actually, two thirds of fourth graders last year failed to read at the proficient reading level for the fourth grade. That's really sad. Yeah, clearly we have a problem with <laughs> it.
1: Yeah. And that makes me think of, you know, obviously it is really important not only to read, but to understand what you're reading, because if you're not able to understand and make meaning, from information given to you, then it's hard to make your own decision or to critically think about things or to engage fully in certain aspects of society. So, this is really, those are really sad statistics. I didn't realize that those were the current numbers. Right. Unfortunately, that's the case. Yeah. So, what is your thought of some solutions? I mean, I know you literally wrote a book on it. Can um, <laughs> you give us some ideas of your expertise and, and what you think
0: could help with the situation? So I have a couple of suggestions. The first one is that we need to clearly understand what reading comprehension is so that we can teach it correctly. So instead of fixating on letters and sounds and fixating on saying the words out loud, let's teach understanding right from day one so that we can encourage our children to use the printed word in order to make use of it or utilize the information that's involved. I think it would be a great idea if we we could encourage parents to understand what the research actually tells us. We have this wealth of research, it's time to use it. It, It's a shame if we cognitive psychologists keep it and don't share it with the world. It's just so sad that the information isn't out there. If parents could understand what it feels like to read as a child reads and to learn as a child learns, it's entirely possible that they might change the way they interact with their children. So the book lays out 15 different research studies. Only one of them's mine, for this, are other people's. But they're phenomenal research studies that show us what it feels like when a child fails to comprehend. And it shows us the different areas that we need to work on in order to encourage children to be better at the reading comprehension process. We also need to make it much more fun. Reading shouldn't be a chore. So I have a friend who told me that Her granddaughter came over to the house, not that I'm old enough to have grandchildren, I hasten to add, but but my friend. You don't look like it, don't worry. (laughs) So so her granddaughter came over and said, she had to read 10 pages as reading homework. So my first question would be, who on earth assigned 10 pages as a reading homework assignment? But aside from that, that the granddaughter went off to find the book with the biggest print and the biggest pictures to avoid reading. So why is that happening in our society? We have phenomenal books. Why don't children relish the thought of reading a story? Why is it so much hard work and why is it torture? Or
1: even the idea of assigning pages instead of completing a conceptual chapter or completing a conceptual story. I always thought that was interesting too. It's like read, like even in graduate school or high school, it's like read an X amount of pages, hundred pages or something, but it's like, or why not go discover a new idea or just like read until you discover a concept, right? Right.
0: Absolutely. It seemed to be a strange concept, but so we have all these research studies that again, They'll show parents how children think. And when we learn to think as a child thinks and read as a child reads, we can have a better understanding of what's going on, what we can do better, and how we can fix this reading failure chain that seems to have evolved over time. If you want, I could read you a research study from the book. Yes, please. So there's a couple of different studies. One shows parents what happens when you don't have the background knowledge that you need in order to comprehend a story another one shows you even if you have the background knowledge if you don't know that you're supposed to bring it to the story you're in all kinds of trouble so mm. we can start with the first one this is a research study by shanking abelson from 1975 Tomorrow. so this is not new information but it is new information for parents if they didn't study cognitive psychology Can I ask a little tangent right there? Why do you
1: think this isn't widely available yet? Is this just a niche area that hasn't gotten a lot of
0: publishing attention? Or why is the information not available? (laughs) I was thinking about that. And I'm sure the person that invented the wheel was sitting around saying, how come nobody thought of this before? I don't know. I don't understand what. That's why I wrote the book people should know about this. It's such critical information and it's fun. It's enjoyable. It's easy to implement. So it doesn't make sense. It is now there, but somebody had to bring it to everybody's attention. So here it
1: is. <laughs> yes. Well, thank you. Thank you. Yes. I mean, obviously if you had, you know, the access to academia research and all that, you could find it, but yes, this is stuff parents need to know. So, okay, go ahead. Tell us, tell us. Okay. So
0: this is a research study that Shank and Abelson wanted, to do, that wanted adults to understand what it is to read a story and not have the background knowledge. Okay? Okay. So, Jim went to the restaurant and asked to be seated in the gallery. He was told that there would be a half hour wait. Forty minutes later, the applause for his song indicated that he could proceed with the preparation. Twenty guests had ordered his favorite, a cheese souffle. Jim enjoyed the customers in the main dining room. After two hours, he ordered the house speciality roast pheasant under glass it was incredible to enjoy such exquisite cuisine and yet still have 15 dollars. he would surely come back soon so i'm going to guess at what was going on while i was reading this okay jim went to the restaurant oh come on we all know someone called jim restaurants got that covered and asked to be seated in the gallery she sounds a little foreign maybe a gallery something those scottish people have who knows he was told there would be a half hour wait. Well, we all know what that means, right? We've all done that in a the restaurant. Then the fun begins, right? 40 minutes later, the applause for his song. What applause and what song? <laughs> and what was he proceeding with preparations for? Because we don't do that in restaurants. So round about now, probably you're thinking, what am I having for dinner tonight? Hmm, I could have spaghetti. It's over from last night or whatever I thought you were having. And so the story goes on and on and, The more the story continues, the more you start to think, this just doesn't make sense. And then you lose interest in trying to get it to make sense. So Shank and point was, this is a restaurant, say on the Planet Org, where they have different rules and you have to entertain people in order to be allowed to go into the restaurant and then you cook food. And if people like it, you know, they pay you and then you get to sit down and eat. So the point is, look how hard you tried to make sense of a story that was completely nonsensical. And we have to work that hard to make sense of a story. But because we are adults, we have lots of background knowledge. When children lack the background knowledge, Shank and Abelson's point was, look how hard you have to work if you don't have all the information. And so just simple things like that. What could parents do differently? Give your children background knowledge. Mm. Every time you go anywhere, engage with your children, talk to your children, and then read a book about it or take a book with you. A trip to the dentist, jumping in puddles, looking at leaves, anything. It doesn't have to be a trip to the moon, for heaven's sake. Anything you engage in with your child, find a book and then children will learn to bring and you can teach them to bring the background knowledge into the story. Remember that time we did that. Look at what happened. And then you can combine background knowledge with the printed word. You know, this makes a lot of sense because yes,
1: as you were reading that story in the beginning, <laughs> I was like, okay, I'm tracking, I'm tracking, where's this going? And then I was like, I'm going crazy. I don't understand what she's <laughs> saying at all. But then it was like, there were other words I suddenly recognized. So then I worked so hard that I almost convinced myself in the middle of the story that it made sense to other people, but I just didn't know what pheasant under glass was like, maybe that's a chef Ramsey special or something. It's like, I was working so hard that I, I almost tricked myself into thinking I understood it. But also I was really tired mentally when you were done. So that makes sense. Like our kids are probably drained and exhausted and that makes it not fun because you have to work to read. And then the other thing you're saying that makes a lot of sense is a lot of times when you hear about reading to your children, it's like, just read, just pick a book and read, do it before bedtime, you know, make it part of your routine. But nobody does talk about incorporating it into their experiences as you're teaching them about the world. And that makes perfect sense. So then they learn the book, teaches about the world and they're connected instead of just this separate time where they're supposed to learn sight words
0: right exactly so here's another one right this is an example of you may have all the background knowledge maybe you ate at the planet org i don't know but you may have all the background <laughs> knowledge and yet you don't necessarily know to bring it to the story which is a huge problem that children have you know if you think about the number of times perhaps in your past or maybe this never happened to you but you take a test And then you're given the answers to the test and realize, but I knew that. Why Mm -hmm. didn't I do that? So this is one of those experiences. And this is a study by Bransford and Johnson. And again, it's, it's from 1972. So it's been sitting there for years and years and years. And we need to utilize this information because it's readily available and it's tried and tested. It's research. So I shall read it to you without further ado. The procedure is actually quite simple. First, you arrange items into different groups. Of course, one pile may be sufficient depending on how much there is to do. If you have to go somewhere else due to lack of facilities, that's the next step. Otherwise, you're pretty well set. It's important not to overdo things. That is, it's better to do a few things at once than too many. In the short run, this may not seem important, but complications can easily arise. A mistake can be expensive as well. At first, the whole procedure will seem complicated. Soon, however, it will become just another facet of life. It is just difficult to foresee any end to the necessity for this task in the immediate future, but then one can never tell. So now no I idea like, what you're talking about. <laughs> well, I'd like your audience to write down everything they can remember. Can I take a stab at it? Sure.
1: <laughs> okay, there's two piles or something like that, and you're supposed to do a little bit, not overdo it. Because it might seem hard at first, but eventually it'll become part of your
0: normal life. But you don't really know in the future if you're going to (laughs) need it or not. But I have no idea what I'm talking about. So I'm going to read it a second time and now listen to the difference, okay? Okay, okay. The washing clothes passage. The procedure is actually quite simple. First, you arrange the items into different groups. Of course, one pile may be sufficient depending on how much there is to do. If you have to go somewhere else due to lack of facilities... That's the next step, otherwise you're pretty well set. It's important not to overdo things. So you get the idea, right? That makes so much more sense, Uh, yes. And the only difference, the title. What did the title do? It activated your background knowledge. Mm. And Bransford and Johnson, their point was, look how much information you had available to you, but you didn't even know it was there. And just something as simple as a title teaches you to activate all that background knowledge and bring it with you to the story. Yes.
1: This reminds me with Triad, I do coaching for our licensing exams. And that's one of the things we talk about quite a lot is how to understand what people are studying because the test is so broad. It covers the EPPP. It covers so much information. And that's a complaint people have is that when they're trying to just rote memorize everything, it's Mm -hmm. too exhausting. You literally burn out. You cannot remember everything. And I felt like that's what I was doing with the first time you read that because I have no idea what it's talking about. So I'm literally like, okay, remember this, remember that, remember this. And then it becomes too much But with the context, like you said, background knowledge, so then it taps into your understanding or your procedural memory, which is so much easier, and you don't have to work as hard.
0: Absolutely. So these are research studies that clearly show parents, you know, parents can do these studies when they read the book, but it shows parents, this is what children experience. They may have all the background knowledge in the world, but if they don't know they're supposed to bring it to that particular story, it's wasted background knowledge. And so just encouraging parents to do these simple little things at home. It doesn't take that much effort. It doesn't take that much time, but look at the benefit and the payoff.
1: Absolutely. What are some of the other things parents can do at home? So one we've talked about is, you know, maybe bringing a book with you when you're on a walk and showing this is a leaf, this is a rock, things like that. What practical things could parents do to make this more accessible
0: to children? Sure. (laughs) So I have a couple of suggestions. The first one is we want to create a need to read. So we want children to have a need to read a book or to read the printed word so we can do things like for younger children, create a shopping list and draw a little picture or cut out from magazines or newspapers or from off the internet, little pictures of each of the words. And we talk about phonetically friendly words, so words that spell the way they sound. Um, so use those, make a shopping list and go to the supermarket with your child so that your child can understand that the words on the list actually have meaning and that's mm. the beginning of reading comprehension. Another one of my favorite ideas, well, two favorite ideas, and one is a word wall. So for sight word recognition, just cut out words that or write down words that children know and can recognize, like stop for the stop sign. Just make a little stop sign and just stick it on the board. And so every so often you can look at the word wall and children can have great fun identifying words that they already know because everybody likes to be successful. And one of my absolute favorites, make books. So when you go on a little adventure or whatever it is, jumping in puddles, building snowmen, whatever it is you're doing, take photographs of your children. Most people have cell phones nowadays. Take pictures of your children at each stage of whatever it is you're doing. And then when the adventure is over, if you can print them out, that's great. Or just put them on the computer screen and put one word on each page so that children begin to understand that word means so much more than just that one word. And in that way, we build an understanding of, I have to bring information with me to the story. The story continues and goes on, even although there's just one word. And children love to be the center of attention. And so if they're in the story, it makes it much more fun. But think how much more meaningful a story is if they've experienced the story. So they can act it out all over again. They can read the word on the page or we can read the word to them. And yet it builds this need to read and this understanding of what the printed word is all about. We'll be right back after word from our sponsor. Continuing education
1: is both a requirement and a learning opportunity, but finding the right CE provider can be challenging. AATBS, a triad company, offers continuing education for psychologists, social workers, marriage and family therapists, counselors, and behavior analysts. CE courses are available both individually and as part of our new All Access Pass. All Access Pass provides a library of over 250 unique courses. That's more than 800 hours of CEs, with new courses being added every month. As a special offer, Behavioral Health Today listeners can save 15% on CE purchases. Visit us at aatbs.com bht and enter promo code bht15 during checkout. That's aatbs.com bht.
0: Check out our library and check off your CE requirements today.
1: I love that idea. And that's such a good way to make memories with your children and and remember the fun times that they had too. So I, I love that idea
0: absolutely and in fact I used to do that with my three children
1: <laughs>
0: long before we had cell phones Did I say but I would take pictures and I would you know get them printed and I would put little books together and I laminated them myself with little laminating covers and now that my children are grown and they've all left home when we look back at the books it's so much fun it I bet it's like a scrapbook memories. for you
1: <laughs> yeah that's actually really sweet and special I love that <laughs> What age would you say is best to start doing these activities with kids? Birth. <laughs>
0: yeah, I was thinking you, <laughs> could, natally, you could start really natally. early. <laughs> yeah. yeah, It's never too soon to start. Okay. You know, I remember, oh, my mother-in-law never listens to this interview,
1: but yeah. I remember when my <laughs>
0: oldest was born, I put a little book, a little picture book in his crib or his passing out when he was born. <laughs> she took it back out. She's like, he can't be, don't be so ridiculous. <laughs> but you were teaching him early that books are okay books are fun (laughs) absolutely it's never too soon to start and it's fun as long as it's fun it's never too early I like that I've actually tell me if this is
1: true I heard recently that if a child looks away from something whether maybe it's a book in this case it's either too easy for them to understand or too complicated is that true
0: Well, sometimes I just get bored of looking at that (laughs) too.
1: Yeah. But I I was wondering if that maybe could be a clue to parents of like, let's try and make this one more simple. Or do you think it's more a sign of boredom?
0: I think it would depend on a case by case basis. Okay. You know, I mean, if, if you follow your child's interest, this is one of the premises in the book, actually. So sometimes we think about the children we might have down the line and then, you know, lo and behold, we're holding our child in our arms. You have to raise the child you have, not the child you had in your head. And so, you know, part of the chance with reading. Read the books they want to read. They might not be the books you want to read, but let your child and follow your child's lead. And the other big issue: your children don't have to be perfect. After mm-hmm. all, they're your children. But the truth of the matter is, we're so fixated on being first, winning prizes, getting awards. Sometimes we forget they're children, and they learn from their mistakes. So we have to allow them to make their mistakes in order to learn. We have to allow them to get bored in order to become creative. And we have to bring out the best in them without expecting the best to be better than we are necessarily. And I think that's one of the fundamental flaws there, I say, that we have in parenting in this country. You just don't have to win a trophy every time. There's so Mm -hmm. much more to be learned in life than just being first or being best. And when we reward our children for being the best that they can be, I think it's exponentially better for everybody. That's a good word right there. I I agree. That's wonderful. What else do you
1: want to tell us about either tips and tricks to help kids with learning comprehension or maybe the ideal environment for children to learn?
0: What what other thoughts do you have? So I think it's very important to make sure that we keep our children interested and engaged in the reading process. But again, you know. There are so many comics and magazines out there. Like National Geographic has National Geographic for kids. Not that I want to advertise it. But, you know, if your child's interested in animals, you know, go to the library and and take out the magazine or sit in the library with your child and read the magazine. You can look at the pictures. You can talk about what the pictures mean. It should be a journey for the, you know, for the child and the parent. It should be an adventure and it should always be fun. And creating this need to read gets children curious about the world. Reading is exploring and learning and understanding, but even without the reading process, the comprehension process is still so important. Go to a museum, go to a library, go take a walk with your child. Sometimes we're so busy working 40 hours a week, doing the laundry, you know, preparing the food, doing the dishes. Sometimes we forget that they're children and they need our time. They want our attention and yes, we need to work. Yes, we have to put food on the table, but we have an obligation to spend time with them at quality time. Not time where we're on a business call, not time where we're multitasking, but just pure quality time with each individual child. And if you have multiple children, one child at a time, just take an hour a day, 20 minutes a day, just to find out how was your day? Tell me what's going on in your world and listen to life from their point of view instead of just from ours. Because being able to read and comprehend Part of that is trusting your parents and listening to your parents. And so we want to make sure that we're parenting from our children's point of view and not just from our own. Well said.
1: Yeah, it sounds like, you know, slowing down, finding some time, even if it's not hours, just minutes to consistently... It sounds like even kind of get to know your child. I like what you were saying earlier where you may have an assumption of something, but with time spent with them, you'll realize, oh, wow, I thought they liked this, but really they're into this now because you know how quickly kids change and their (laughs) interests change. And so that seems like a big part of accessing how to keep them engaged and learning and reading is just knowing where they're at, what they're interested in, what's going on in their world. Yeah,
0: You know, I I had the privilege of being able, before COVID, of being able to go all across America and all around the world, actually giving research and giving talks and workshops. And I got the idea that I have three children. I thought maybe I'd take one child with me. I figured three was a bit too many, but I figured I could handle one if I went. So right from like six weeks old, I took my six-week-old son to Washington, D.C. But beyond that, just over the years, I used to take one child in. I got so much out of taking one child instead of three children because you just learn to get to know your children. It's such a privilege and an honor to be able to spend time with them. And so we we used to do this thing called parent for the day with my children. So I would allow them to be in charge for the day during the holidays so they could plan whatever they wanted and I would do whatever it was they were doing. So on one of my trips away, my, my older son said to me, Right, I want to be parent for the day. I said, "All right, no problem." So he's pushing me along the road. I said, what, "What? exactly are you doing right now?" He said, "Well, that's what you do to me. I never seem to walk faster than oh, no. that. I had no idea I was doing that." But just by spending time with them, you get to see life from a totally different point of view. It wasn't necessarily my finest moment, but still. <laughs> No, but I'm sure
1: those are really fun memories that they still have where they got to be parent for the day. And yeah, no, and that's fun. It is funny because I'm sure, yeah, it's a good way to self-reflect as a parent of, oh, wow, I need to adjust this or, oh, this is going really well. But you wouldn't know that unless you're getting <laughs> feedback, just like anything else in life. That's a really cute idea. And I'm sure they'll have good memories of that as they get older too, of when they got to go with you on your
0: travels. Absolutely. So the last chapter of the book is called a Final Note. Uh-huh. And I wanted to read that to you because... I think it really encapsulates everything that the book is about. Would that be okay? Absolutely. All right. So certainly no one ever said that parenting was easy. No one ever said that teaching was easy either. When parents try to teach, it can become a doubly frustrating experience. I hope that this book has shed some light on some of the difficulties that children experience as they navigate a path that has become second nature for us. Remember that they are not like us. Their brains are wired differently. They think differently. They process information differently. If you want to succeed, learn to think as they think. Learn to process information as they process information. As I say goodbye to my last child and wave him off to begin his university experience, I urge you to remember that it's a journey that takes 18 long years. If you fixate on the outcome, the payoff, the final product, then it will be a bittersweet moment when you say your goodbyes. Try instead to enjoy the journey, the mistakes, the learning curves, and those precious moments. Let your children lead and learn to follow. Good luck and enjoy each moment of your journey. Beautiful. That's really beautiful. Speaking of your
1: book, do you have any examples of people that have used your book as a resource and had a really positive experience or noticed growth in their children? Whether it's a parent or maybe teachers, do any examples sure. come to mind? I have three grown children. Right, <laughs> right. trip the book. There, well, there you go. It's dedicated to them. <laughs> Have you heard any stories of teachers using the information in your book and applying it to the classroom? We've talked a lot about parents, but I'm wondering if you have any insight into how this could translate to a classroom setting. I'd love to say
0: yes, but, but it's only been out for a month. So oh, sure. I didn't realize that. Oh my gosh. Congratulations on your book
1: finally being published. I know that's it quite a process. Won
0: the National Parenting Product Award
1: for 2023. <laughs> I saw that in your background. I just didn't realize that the book had only been out for a month. That's a big deal. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, so I, I hope it will be picked up by teachers because, yeah, and we definitely have talked about parents, but I'm thinking of classroom settings and how this could be really empowering and useful for teachers to be aware of this information. Obviously, they can't be as one-on-one all the time as a parent can, but that would be really interesting to see a classroom that, that applies books and, and reading sight words and things like that <laughs>
0: as a more interactive time so not to sell teachers short this book is validation for good teachers they already know this information oh Um, okay (laughs) somewhere they must have come across it but they ought to know this information and so you know not to be disrespectful there are many fabulous educators out there that are doing all of this and have been doing it for years we just need more of them
1: yes definitely and maybe even this book will raise more of a conversation which will help because I know sometimes teachers are just you know tired or they don't have all the resources that they would like to have to implement these things. So I think it's it's great to have this book out there.
0: The goal is that it's a catalyst for change. I mean, it's yeah. time to disrupt a paradigm that really hasn't shifted in over 50 years. We need to reinvent the way we think about reading or reading comprehension. Absolutely. I also wanted to ask if you have any thoughts on
1: how a parent or even teacher might start to notice a child that has a learning comprehension disability. So as someone is using these skills and tools to teach learning comprehension and literacy, what are some signs to look out for that maybe a child is struggling a little bit extra or might need even more support specifically just with the learning comprehension disability?
0: That's a fabulous question. And so oftentimes we talk about the silent failure chain because Children overcompensate when they can't do something. We know that sometimes they act out and so they become the class clown or they become, you know, disruptive in the classroom, which is really just a cover up for not actually being able to understand what's necessarily going on in the classroom. So those are two big warning signs. Sometimes children just become quiet. We talked earlier about students who just don't necessarily speak in class. And so those might be the students who can't comprehend and so they don't know what's going on. Just by asking children, reading a short story and by asking children, do you understand what's in the story? What can I help you with? How can we make this story more understandable? We could open up the conversation where children could actually say, you know, I don't know. Because if you think about it, you know, by the time we ask our children to read like four chapters of Jane Eyre, if you can't understand chapter one, you're not going to get to chapter two. And then any conversation that we have beyond that about, you know, what was the character's motivation? What happened? It's lost on a child, And so we want to keep pace with them and make sure that our children are actually understanding and enjoying what they're reading
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, and it sounds you haven't said this directly, but it sounds like this is something that can be learned at any age. So if somebody did get a slow start, that it's not too late for them to start learning how to pair context and meaning to to reading
0: absolutely. And one of the best ways of doing that, whether it's in the classroom or in the home, Again, pick any situation that a child is engaged in and find a book that relates to it. So Tom Sawyer is a great one. I mean, nobody wants to do chores, right? Start with Tom Sawyer and have a look at what Tom Sawyer did and talk about it. And then mm-hmm. children will begin to discover, you know, they're not called classics because they're boring. They're called classics because they've they got a really good purpose and point to them. And, so and most can people able... can relate to, on some right. level to a classic story, Right. Actually, pull the fun out of the stories and talk about them. I mean, Anna Green Gables, you're not going to read that when you're a toddler. But, you know, by the time you get to be a dysfunctional pre-adolescent, let's talk about what happens when you dye your hair green and you didn't mean to. <laughs> so there's I loved that story when there. I was younger. Yes, that is, a, that is a classic.
1: They actually just came out, well, not just, but I think it was during COVID. They came out with the show of Anna Green Gables on Netflix. And my inner child was like loving watching that because it was, (laughs) it was such part of, part of my like preteen years, I think. So no, that those are really good examples, I think. And yeah, I I just, I think that's such a necessary part of our field to bring this information to people. So I'm really grateful that you wrote this book on it. Oh, absolutely. And you
0: know, sometimes your children do things you don't necessarily want them to do. Pick a book that picks up the same topic. And that's a great starter for a conversation. And also there's you know, topics that are difficult to discuss and you're not really sure how to approach them as a parent, pick a book where the character in the story, I don't know, dates a boy that you're not so keen on or, you know, wants to play soccer, even though he, she, or they may not be great at soccer. And, you know, you can bring out a dialogue from the story, which is a great way for parents and children to communicate. That's absolutely true. Yeah. So we know from the
1: child psychology angle too, that it's a lot easier for everybody, but especially children and teens to talk about something that's like one or two steps distant from their experience. So that that's so true that books, even movies can be a really good way to start a conversation. So that's a really good tip. As we start to wrap up, do you have any final
0: thoughts or final message that you want to share for our audience? Yeah, absolutely. I think Being a parent is a privilege. Being able to read is a privilege and being able to share reading with our children is just such an honor. And we really have to enjoy the process so much more. There's so much fun to be had. I like that angle because, yeah,
1: I think this topic can sometimes feel really heavy and dreary, especially to families who have struggled to teach their children to understand reading or to children that don't enjoy reading. And so I I love that perspective of this. This should be fun and it should be quality time and it should be interesting. And there really are so many different books that can relate to every experience and every interest. So I like that perspective of just, just putting the fun back in it and the creativity back in it. Absolutely. And don't forget Dr. Seuss. <laughs> oh, is <laughs> yeah. the
0: most fun.
1: <laughs> Speaking of a classic, yes, because the rhyming and yeah, I know that was a source of controversy a few years ago, but you can't argue that he has some really good literacy in there and g- a good way to, to learn
0: comprehension. Well, where can we learn more about you and your work? I have a website. It's difficult to read with the number two. So difficult to read dot com.
1: Okay. And we will definitely include that in our show notes. Well, Claire, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. We really appreciate you being here. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it's been really fun. And I also want to thank our listeners for joining Claire and I today. And just a reminder that the resources for this episode and also an archive of all of our other episodes can be found on our webpage at triadhq.com BHT. And we really look forward to having you back with us next time on Behavioral Health Today.